Good morning. Second Samuel chapter 2. We'll start, we'll start from verse 1, but let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for uh, an opportunity to, re- to open it, study it, even with just uh, a small number here. Father, we pray for your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. So where are we at? We're, well, we're in chapter 2, but where are we at in the story of David? Well, Saul's died. At the end of First uh, Samuel, David's been approached by the Amalekite, who, uh, well, really in the first two or three chapters, first, let's say five chapters of Samuel, you know, what you see is a lot of politicking, a lot of politicking, campaigning, and there's politicking on the side of uh, Abner, Ishbosheth, Joab, but we saw the first politicking from the Amalekite. You know, remember, we came to David and and uh, told David that uh, he was trying to bring him the good news that Saul had died and that he actually had part in the death of Saul. And he thought he had thought about what that would look like to David and he concluded that this would be a good political move for him because he might find favor in David's sight. David being the next anointed king of Israel, he might he think that this was good news, that he'd reward him for bringing him the good news, and then he'd be you know, if he'd find favor in the house of David. It's a poli- it's a political move. Well we know it didn't work out for him, and and David executes him. Um, it's interesting because later on, the same thing happens in chapter four with Ishbosheth when he's murdered. Uh, the 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 murderers actually um, come and bring David news that Ish- Ishbosheth's been taken out. And David says to them uh, in verse uh, 10, When someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I had rested him and executed him in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? So, so they obviously didn't learn the lesson of the Amalekite. And so everybody's trying to position themselves. This is what happens when there's a change in leadership, right? Saul was the king. He was he was in charge. And now there's now the, the leadership position's been vacated by his death. So now it's the time for everybody to move and position themselves to try and get themselves to whatever level they can attain. Nothing's new in today's world. Right? I mean, we see it in, you know, however many thousands of years later, we see it in the political world of our day, too, right? We see how much, uh, what lengths people will go to to get that position of power. And, you know, we think about that on the highest levels, like, um, you know, national leadership or government leadership. But when when you think about it, you know, in your own life, 
how guided we have to be ourselves to, to see what you know what's our motivation behind things because it can be very easy to try and manipulate things in your life or try and make moves with less than great intentions and we have to guide ourselves from that because it's very easy to see an opportunity that if we stepped outside of our uh, convictions, how easy it would be, you know, I mean, I've seen some people nod their head, like, and we can see that maybe we've had a, a moment of weakness in our own life where we have stepped outside our convictions and the word of God because we knew it would be favorable, it would lead to a favorable thing in this world for us. And as we read through this chapter, we're going to get introduced to a guy named Joab, who did that very thing. You know, one one uh, commentator puts it like this uh, about Joab. He knew right from wrong. He knew right from wrong. It says, he can appreciate righteousness and unrighteousness, but he does not oppose unrighteousness except when it runs counter to his personal designs. And when something righteous runs contrary to his interests, he suppresses it. Think about that in our own life when we've um, realized and kind of picked and choose what we consider something that we cannot step outside or what something is like, ah, it's a kind of a gray area, we'll let that one slide. Why are we going to let it slide? Well, because it satisfies the flesh. When it's contrary to that, you know, there's no way we could let that stand. And all of a sudden, we'll be on the side of righteousness. But it's uh, something that we have to uh, be careful and be guarded in not just satisfying our own ambitions and, and our own desires, uh, regardless of the cost. You know, because a lot of people will say that, you know, it's, I mean, win at all costs. If it's something that's going to get you that promotion, if it's something that's going to make you more liked by that person, I mean, those are very, you know, easily relatable things that happen in life. And that's all politics. It's all, it's all politicking. It's maneuvering yourself and, you know, maybe in the workplace, seeing something that's, that's less than, less than desirable, but allowing it or, or even uh, participating in it because while the boss is in favor of that kind of thing or the boss is going to like me or the, my superiors or whatever the case is, it's going to benefit me. So I'm going to look past how it's wrong and unrighteous but it's because it's going to benefit me. What chapter does Joab come? Joab, well, Joab's in chapter two. Okay. Joab's in chapter two, but he, he is. I mean, in chapter three, Joab murders Abner because it's a political. Well, I mean, it's re, it's revenge, but it's also a political move. And well, you know, we this is what's happening during this time. Um, everybody is just trying to, you know, Abner himself. You know he. He sides with the flesh because he promotes Ishbosheth, which is the only living son of Saul. And 
he he claims that because Ishbosheth is the only living descendant, male descendant of Saul, that he should be king. He's the next in line, right? Jonathan's dead. Um, the other two uh, sons died in battle. Uh, Malkishua and Abinadab, they both died. Ishbosheth's left, so Ishbosheth will be king. Even though David has been anointed by God, and everyone knows it. I mean, we've gone through like 10 chapters in Saul, the last 10 chapters of in Saul, last 10 chapters of Saul's life in Samuel, and Saul himself has said he's the king's he's the he's the Lord's anointed, that he will be king. He even says it to Jonathan, as long as David lives, you will not be king, you will not be ruler. So they know it. In fact, Judah, at the beginning of chapter 2, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, they anoint him as king. But the other tribes, they do not. They uh, anoint, not anoint, but they accept Ishbosheth as king. But if we fast forward to chapter 5, the first uh, few verses of chapter 5, I'll read it. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. They knew he was a king. Yet here in chapter 2, verse 8, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and all over all Israel. They knew he was the king. But they anointed Ishbosheth anyway. So this is spiritual spiritual hypocrisy, right? They knew that David was the chosen king, but they sided with Saul anyway. Bring that back to our lives today. We know what's right, but we do what's wrong anyway. Happens all the time, especially in in Christian circles. It happens all the time. It happens in Allah. We have to be guided not to be like that. Our own choices are made the same way. The knowledge of right and wrong, but choosing based on our desires is what I have written in my in my margin right there. So we 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 like to make choices based on our own desires, our own desires, regardless of what's right or wrong. That's exactly what the people of Israel did. It says we know. The, the Lord said, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. We know that God said that. But for the last uh, seven years and six months, we've been following Ishbosheth. Even though we knew this is what, David had told, this is what God had told David in, in, uh, uh, in, uh, when Saul was king. That's why it says in verse 4 of, of chapter 5, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, 
and he reigned 40 years. He, in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven, and, seven years, six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So for seven years and six months, Israel, even though they knew the rightful ruler of Israel was David, they followed somebody else. How did that, how did that work out there? I, I mean, visually, how, where was David? I, well, that was where David was. So seven, yeah, in, right? in Hebron, right. How far away did it go? Just to visualize it like, like yeah, well, Hebron was in Judah, so Judah was Judah accepted David as king. The other tribes did not. So Judah, if you you probably have a map in the back of your Bible that shows you where the tribes were, and it'll show it'll show you where uh, Hebron was. But Judah, I'm going to just grab it real quick. Was down the was down the south. It was one of the southern tribes. In so fact, they, that that they that became king because they knew that he had been anointed. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, they they were they were the uh, his allies as he walked through the you know as he was in hiding from Saul. Judah was allied with him almost the entire time. But if you look, this is a, a distinction and a fracture of it, uh, of the Jewish people that goes on for a long time. Right, you've got Judah and Israel. Judah, this, the southern two tribes, and then the northern ten tribes. And there's this fracture, and it continues uh, for some time. And, I mean, we see a fracture in, 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 in Christianity today. I mean, it's so fractured. There's not just a north and a south. There's an east and a west and all the rest of them. It, we've got so many different things. There's no, there's no unification um, because everybody is, is, is chasing um, other doctrine, but um, yeah, Hebron. He, Hebron's just to the south of Jerusalem. Is there a after the seven and a half years? Are we gonna in this chapter? Is it gonna come up? Why? How did David go into Jerusalem and became king? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. We'll get there. And I was just, I was just moving ahead into chapter five to show. That for seven and a half years, the politics that was going on and the decisions that people were making based on their own desires, even though they knew that the rightful king was David. And we think about, like, you know, how many people are living their life knowing that God's the rightful king of their life, but following it, following someone, something else, something else rules their life and not the Lord. Okay, so this is David eluding Saul. This is his, his, uh, yeah, so Hebron's going to be down here further on this side. How far away is it in, in, in like, in, in real distance kind of thing? Just a, an idea. I'm just wondering because if they're really close, I mean. Was... Hebron and Jerusalem are close on a map. Oh, okay. They're very close. I would say a day's journey. Huh? 20 miles. You know that? Really? Did you look that up or you know that? Yeah, a day's journey. And there's Jerusalem. So this is about 20 mile scale right here. Yeah, so 20 miles, you're about about 20 miles. Wow. Brother Cheeto, he's really good with the with the distances, apparently. Keep in mind that you could walk within two hours here. Yeah. 
keep in mind that uh, if you look at the terrain, terrain or terrain? Terrain. It's mountainous. It's kind of desert and, and zigzagging. Right, and multiple people, not just it you. It me how close they are for such a big thing that the difference that they're doing, right? Right. Right. Yeah, so back up. You know, Ishbosheth's made king of Israel. Judah has accepted David as the rightful king. The other tribes have not. And Ishbosheth reigns over, it says, um, he reigned two years. It says, uh, Ishbosheth's sole son was 40 years old when he began to reign, and he reside, he reigned sorry, two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. Only the house of Judah followed David. And, that, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So that's repeated again in chapter 5. So then, the rest of chapter 2, we get the people who are following uh, Ishbosheth, so the house of Saul, Versus the house of David. And in chapter 3 verse 1. It says now there was a long war. Between the house of Saul. And the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So this. You know last part of chapter 2. Describes that. That that civil war. That was going on in Israel. And it was really silly. In fact you could probably. Um, summarize. You know. Uh, verse 12 through verse 32 uh, with the saying, you know, play silly games, earn silly prizes. Has anyone ever heard that? Michael might have heard that. Play silly games, earn silly prizes. Because I'll read it, but essentially Abner and Joab um, uh, just just fight each other to see who's the strongest. And they end up killing each other. You know, it's one thing to have an arm wrestle. Well, these guys had a sword wrestle, and they ended up, you know, killing each other at the same time. Let me read it. This is verse 12 in chapter 2. Now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Menahim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David, went out by and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So they arise, by the way, Abner and Joab, I mean, they're, they're, they're two pieces of work. And, I mean, you'd hate to compare the two, but Abner's probably a little bit better than Joab. As far as, you know, mor morality and, and ethics. But anyway, um, so they arose and went, over by a number, twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust the sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. So, so there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner, the son of, uh, and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were there. Joab and Abishai and Asahel. Asahel. And Asahel was, was as fleet of foot and, 
and a wild gazelle. Fast dude. So, Asahel pursued Abner, and in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? He said, Yes. He answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and lay hold of one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? So Abner was saying, look, we've already fought. You've already won. Stop pursuing me. If you keep pursuing me, I'm going to kill you. And then I'm going to have to face your brother Joab. However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear. So the spear came out of his back. And he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell and died, fell down and died, stood still. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before uh, Gia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner, became a unit, and took their stand on top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still, and did not pursue Israel any more, nor did they fight any more. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through uh, all Bith. Uh, Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, they were they were missing of David's servants, nineteen men, and Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men three hundred and sixty who died. Then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. So. Here these two, the civil war that's going on between Israel. Israel needs to be united, but they're fractured. And and it's all because that each one has decided who they're going to follow. And we see what happened. A bunch of, uh, it's, all, it's all ruined. It's all ruined. I mean, what was the point of this? We, we, get, we get a list of people who died. I mean, there's less on one side than the other, so we know who's winning. That's what they tell us in chapter three. But this was all. This is all pointless. This is all because uh, they would not unite under David. And the same can be said for today, in, in, in today's world, because we won't unite under Christ. That there's destruction, right? There's destruction, and there's souls per- uh, dying, perishing. Today, because there is no unity under the true king, under Christ. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. You know, the, David's not mentioned in all, any of this, and, and neither is Ishbosheth, really. It's the, it's, the, it's the head of the army, of both armies, and David's not mentioned. But there's failure here on David's part, too, 
for not keeping that in check. You know, David represents Christ, but he also is a man. So he's a type of Christ. Now, if he was, you know, as good as Christ, then we wouldn't have needed Christ to come. But um, he's a type. But we also have to remember he's just a man. And as much of the things that happen in David's life that were good, we know that, we know that there's failings. I think this is one of the failings right here that he did not. I mean, we we see in the in in just one chapter the roller coaster of David's life because when when David finds out Saul's dead, he inquires of the Lord, God, what do I do? What's my next step? He didn't just waltz into Jerusalem and say, I'm king, worship me. He said, hey, God, I need you to help me. And so he seeks out God's help. But in seeking out God's help, he allows Joab to fight back and forth with Abner's army. And uh, there's no... Good morning, Betty. Yeah, no problem. I missed one service. I'll try to catch another one. No problem. We'll be here. So we see we see some failure in David's life, and then the very next verses. I'll finish with this. I think we see some more failure in David's life because he multiplied his wives, right? Well, I don't know when it all happened. It just mentions. It just gives us a mention of of. of the sons of David. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. The second was Chiliad by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third was Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, the king of Gesha. Absalom, not a good dude. And because David multiplied wives and had these sons by these women, there was nothing but trouble because of that. I mean, Absalom was the next one. Adonijah was a, the son of Haggith the fifth, and uh, Shephatiah the son of Abital, and the sixth Ithream by David's wife Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. So evidently, he was in Hebron for seven years and six months, and he had six sons. With six wives, and uh, that was totally outside. No, no wonder he wasn't involved in this civil war. He was too busy. He was too busy at home with his wives. So we see failure there. Um, we see failure in 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 Israel, and you know if if they would all unite under uh, the name of Christ, then a lot of this waste and and needless death would never have happened. And then we get to the point later when when his son takes over just because he killed him. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, there were big problems because of the sons. I mean, the sons came after him. It's really sad. I, I like that the Bible said when it's visually, you know, we can I don't know, it came more alive to me. Thank you. Yeah. No, it definitely helps with the visual aids. Thanks for the uh, maps, Michael. But yeah, if you look in the back, if if 
Yeah. That, that's all. They will show all of this. Like those maps are all over the internet too about different journeys and and so that you can know, you can put a picture on it instead of just trying to imagine it. But um, yeah, we're we're right on time here, so.